Okay, that was from Matt. Cut just a few seconds short. Sorry about that. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is the Christogenia Open Forum. Yeah, you know, I have a lot of papers that have to be put to audio, and, and um, I've been thinking about it for quite some time. This is really supposed to be open forum, though, right? Well, well, um, I, 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 the open forum part, sometimes it works and sometimes it really doesn't. So I'm not going to rely on it working. The, the, um, the essay I, I published today, Philadelphia, it's probably going to receive some supplementary portions over the next few months. And they'll appear without much um, fanfare. Uh, I mailed this one out today. It'll be in the Saxon Messenger. And, and I thought I should like an audio version of it, so here I am planning to read it. I'll probably add a few remarks that I didn't include in the essay, I would hope. Why pick on Philadelphia? Because it is the cultural center of the founding of this nation, without a doubt, of the nation's original great cities. And let me say Philadelphia was the second largest city in the nation until Chicago passed it up in the 1890 census. While all... Of, of our original colonies had a um, had a role in the founding and creation of our particularly American as opposed to British or English or German heritage. None of them are as worthy as Philadelphia is to be considered the the birthplace of the United States. I mean, there were a lot of great ideas come out of Boston, and there were a lot of great ideas come out of Virginia. John Hancock, George Mason. A lot of their ideas came out of Europe with um, John Locke and the Magna Carta and things like that. So, so, I mean, there's nothing new under the sun, but everything converged in Philadelphia in the 18th century to come together to create what we know as America. It started out with noble intentions. We know it sure as hell hasn't ended up very well. Today, Philadelphia is also a good representative of what has now become of our once great heritage. Basically, We've given it away to aliens, who neither appreciate it nor even understand it, and they never will be able to understand it. We have done this at the expense of our own children, or at least of the children that we may have had if it were not for the burdensome taxes of the welfare state and, and the wars that we fought for world jewelry, uh, I mean, World War One and World War Two were both fought directly for world jewelry. The the war of northern aggression was fought at the instigation of world jewelry. The imperialism which began with Teddy Roosevelt 
was an imperialism that basically represented the um, the taking over of the government by Wall Street and the manipulation of government and, and um, political propaganda so that Wall Street could line their pockets, so that the Jewish international bankers could line their pockets. Yet it is not wholly our own people who have given this nation and our heritage heritage away. It, it's those among us, like the um, like the epistle John's first epistle says, or, or yes, I believe it's his first epistle. Those who came out from among us, but are not of us. Those who from the beginning have always been contrary to us, who have seduced us into giving this nation away, today it is their monuments which are quickly coming to dominate Philadelphia. Actually, they already do, in many respects. And they are rewriting our history in order for them to make it even easier to corrupt and destroy our nation. The proof lies open for all of those with eyes to see. If you don't want to see it, you'll never see any proof. Philadelphia has long been known for its large population of Negroes. Early on, the city had a, a rather ambivalent attitude towards slavery. Most, southern, most northern Christians did, and a lot of southern Christians did. It was a fact of life that people dealt with. Nobody liked it. Or, or at least most Christians didn't like it. And Pennsylvania was one of the first of the original states to outlaw the institution of slavery. By the middle of the 19th century, an environment was created in Philadelphia which gave Negroes every opportunity afforded to whites. There were approximately 2,000 free Negroes living in Philadelphia in 1790 and over 14,000 by 1830. But even then, they were not 10% of the total population, Philadelphia being our second largest city at the time. And while by the end of the 19th century, the Negro population grew to 40,000, at that time they were only about 4% of the city's population, but still that was a sizable number. And they were well entrenched and, and completely, completely shared equal citizenship with whites for, for a long, long time, longer than any other state. Today, Negroes were over 45% of the population of Philadelphia, a condition that has existed now for many decades. And the more their numbers have grown, the worse the environment within the city has become. It's amazing that white people don't see this simple correlation. It's obvious in all American cities. North Philadelphia has been no better than a war zone for many decades. I've driven through it. And I saw sort of the disgrace to our nation. Negroes rampage on a regular basis. That There's videos that, that are available that prove this. Right on YouTube. Right on Chris Genier, I have one attached to this article on my website. Most often, those Negroes making whites the victims of their crimes and their violence. Of course, those exhibits 
won't be found in modern museums. In fact, Chris, Philadelphia has a very new, right in Center City, a very new and, and um, pretty large African-American museum. Uh, I mean, the museum is much larger. Uh, I mean, all 2,000 of the original cities and of, of the original Negro inhabitants of the city in 1790 might be able to live in this museum. Well, the modern exhibits of black violence and, and decadence in Philadelphia won't be found there, I'm sure. The violence perpetrated by Negroes beginning from the 1960s has never really ended. It started with the Civil Rights Movement when they had nothing to complain about at all, at least not in Philadelphia, of all places. Yet it has been a long time, and it has been a long time since Negroes have had any excuse at all for violence. And never had any in Philadelphia, not since 1790, when they were made free and equal citizens, for the most part. They've never had a legitimate excuse for violence in Pennsylvania. They've never had a re legitimate excuse for despising or rising up against whites or against society in general. Yet they're still doing it, and they're doing it all the time. No matter how much we give them, they don't stop. When are we going to see it? For two centuries now, Negroes in Philadelphia have had every opportunity to do well, enjoying every benefit with whites in an environment originally created by whites. With few exceptions, they have not taken advantage of that opportunity. Negroes will never understand that, since, that, that once opportunity is created, that doesn't bring you success. You have to take advantage of the opportunity, and it is hard work alone that creates advantage from opportunity. There's a difference. Welfare handouts or easy jobs at high salaries for unqualified individuals, that is not advantage. That is not taking advantage of opportunity. That is parasitism, and it's destructive. Admittedly, the fault does not solely lie with Negroes. Rather, the fault, because the dog is only going to do what he learns to do through repetition, he's only going to act as he naturally acts, the fault lies with liberal whites who do not understand or won't admit that Negroes as a society cannot function in the model in which whites function. The proof is all around us through hundreds of years. The Negro spirit is in the jungle, and the Negro naturally functions by the laws of the jungle and not by the rule of law. Of course, there are apparent exceptions found in individual Negroes, without a doubt. However, they do not qualify as examples of the capabilities of the race as a whole. Most Negro professional athletes may well be criminals if the rewards of professional sports weren't much greater and higher paying. And even then, we have Negro professional athletes found to be criminals all the time. Men making millions of dollars a year that are off dogfighting or, or dealing crack. The very fact that Negroes need legal mandates and compulsory assistance to be able to function in a white society proves that they are truly incapable of functioning in that society in the first place.
According to the National Poverty Center at the University of Michigan, these figures are reasonably available online, nearly 11.9% of all white children in America live in poverty, a number not counting their adult parents, which is nearly equal to the total population of Negroes in the entire nation. There are more poor whites in the entire nation than there are Negroes, period, rich and poor. The population of Negroes being approximately 12.6% of the nation. Yet poor, riot, poor whites do not riot. And they do not roam the streets in gangs seeking plunder and committing wanton acts of violence. When a poor white neighborhood suffers a calamity, they don't run down to the appliance store and loot it. Today, as those destructive sirens of multiculturalism and diversity wail ever so loudly, many liberal whites have taken to selecting Negroes for mating purposes. Yet, without exception, no race-mixed society has ever created a great nation. The pattern throughout history has always been the same. White societies absorb or are overrun by non-white peoples and then fall into a permanent state of decay. India, Iran, Iraq, and Egypt are all glaring examples. Italy and Greece barely survive in the face of a once illustrious past. They were both the pinnacle of civilization 2,000 years ago. Egypt was the pinnacle of civilization 4,000 years ago and 3,000 years ago. Iraq and Iran were the pinnacle of civilization from 1,000, I'm sorry, from 3,000 to 2,500 years ago and maintained high civilizations through the first several centuries of the Christian era until they were overrun by Turks from the east and absconded themselves by the Khazarian Jews and then destroyed by the Mongols and the Arabs. Italy and Greece barely survive in the face of a once illustrious past. They have all kinds of economic problems today in both of those states. The basket cases of Europe. France is already a sick shadow of its former self. The Arab countries of the Middle East have only been bolstered by the largest transfer of wealth in the world, in world history, which is Western oil money. But an Arab on his own never designed an oil pump or a use for its produce, and in spite of the trillions of dollars in oil money, a higher percentage of Arab people still live in abject poverty, higher even than that of American Negroes. Yet yeah, you don't even see Arabs usually rioting in the streets. Whenever African blacks are found, the result is just like Africa, and wherever Arabs are found, the result shall be just like Arabia. Furthermore, wherever the Chinese are found, the result will be China. 
Americans have been deceived for over a hundred years now into letting the nation become flooded with aliens who are said to want to assimilate a total lie. Yes, there are a small number of aliens who seem to assimilate with moderate success. However, they are an exception. Most of them don't want to assimilate. And the alien spirit they bring with them nevertheless changes the nature of the nation indelibly even when they do assimilate. The Chinatowns, currently situated in various large American cities, Chicago, San Francisco, New York, and Philadelphia, and others, they are not the simple ethnic neighborhoods which served as stopping points for the Germans and Irish and Italians of the 19th century, who eventually assimilated into Anglo-American culture, which they were related to anyway, racially and religiously, and with language, and with their general culture and beliefs, and from which they thereby became Americans contributing in large ways to the further development of the culture. The Chinatowns are different. The Chinatowns across America are colonies from which China hopes to complete its long march, a term which Mao himself coined, I believe, towards global Chinese communist domination, a goal in which they have had all the assistance of the international Jewish community, which is itself the primary advocate of world communism. And Chinese communism is a strange mix of corporatism. It, it's actually the um, what we know capitalism to be Jewish, and we know Bolshevism to be Jewish. And Chinese communism is the perfect marriage of Jewish capitalism and Jewish Bolshevism. Corporate communism. The idols of these new Chinese conquerors, and that's what they are, they've established colonies here, beachheads in America. They've already lined the streets of Philadelphia, the streets and the avenues, announcing their presence to the world. This is certainly not the Philadelphia, the future for Philadelphia, which the founders of this nation had envisioned. They are probably absolutely sick over this. When they left the Constitution, which they intended would, and I quote from the preamble of the Constitution, secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. That's what our fathers fought for. That's what we've seen given away. We, as a nation, have forsaken our fathers and abandoned their posterity. While much is heard about illegal Mexican immigration and anchor babies, little is discussed about the same problem with China, and, and it's a big problem in Canada, too, and in the Pacific Northwest. The Chinatowns across the country have long been places where illegal Chinese immigrants could find safe harbor from the alien outside world, and they have. They are very insulated from the Anglo world in those Chinatowns, and they could get away with practically anything. And they've found harbor in those Chinatowns in significant 
and also ever-increasing numbers. As China accumulates more and more American debt notes from all of those manufacturing entities which the so-called American capitalists, really the Jews, handed over to, handed over to them relatively freely, having moved so many American factories and technology overseas, China will be looking to spend more and more of that capital here. It's our debt. It only makes sense for them to spend it here. Around New York City, Chinatown has long ago exploded into the suburbs and into New Jersey. This, I've seen this happen in the late 80s and, and early 90s. And it has been rapidly growing outward for over 40 years. Philadelphia is clearly following that same trend. Before most Americans even realize what is going on, many of our major metropolitan centers will be so heavily populated with Asians that visitors may think they are in Asia. And yes, we have the Mexican problem in the South, which, which um, is even greater, and the West, and, and the Northeast now, too. But we're talking about Philadelphia. What foreboses to be even more destructive to the future of white civilization is that it is also fully apparent that whites more easily tend to race mix with Asians than they do with Negroes and Hispanics. The real marks of conquest are not stationary, they are human. When you see a Chinese man with a white woman, that is his trophy. And as Philadelphia goes, so goes the nation. Yet how is it possible to destroy the fabric of such a great nation to the point where it surrenders itself to these alien invasions without any of the aggression that was once an absolute prerequisite to such conditions? Well, it had to be done from the inside, right? There's no other way to do it. There's no other way to defeat the greatest nation in, in the existence of, of this age and to bring it to its knees when it's isolated by 3,000 miles of ocean on each side and no one else has a navy that could conquer ours. There's no other way to defeat it but through an inside job. The Jews of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, can trace their history back to colonial America. Jews have lived there since the arrival of William Penn in 1682. If this is true, I'm quoting Wikipedia, the, Jew, the history of the Jews in Philadelphia. If this is true, and it appears to be, I believe it is true, was it the intent of the original founders of the colony? That William Penn himself was a Christian and founded Pennsylvania in order to establish a holy Christian colony in the New World is absolutely evident in the first writings and the legislation of the colony itself. The following is from Chapter 7 of the book, and, and I quoted this on um, October 10th of 2010 in, in my um, Proofs of the Christian Founding of America. The book is The Christian Life and Character of the Civil Institutions of the United States, developed in the Official and Historical Annals of the Republic by B. F. Morris, published by George W. Childs, 
628 and 630 Chestnut Street, Cincinnati, Ohio, 1864. And I quote, in 1682, another important era in the Christian colonization of the North American continent was inaugurated. William Penn was singularly qualified to be the founder of a Christian commonwealth. He had been educated under the influence of the gospel. He had studied the origin of government, the nature of civil liberty, and the rights of man in the light of the pure word of God and formed the purpose of founding a Christian empire on the free and peaceful precepts of Christianity. The problem is how that peacefulness is interpreted. He had a firm faith in the great American idea that man, educated by Christianity, was capable of self-government. So did the founders of this nation after them. That was the basis for the revolution. Finding no place in Europe to try the experiment of a Christian government, he resolved to seek it in America. And from a later page in the same book, the first legislative act passed at Chester, the 7th of the 12th month, December 1682, announced the ends of a true civil government. The preamble recites that whereas the glory of Almighty God and the good of mankind is the reason and end of government, end meaning purpose there, and therefore government in itself is a venerable ordinance of God, and forasmuch as it is principally desired and intended by the proprietary and governor, meaning William Penn, and the free men of Pennsylvania and territories thereunto belonging, which were Delaware and New Jersey at the time, to make and establish such laws as shall best preserve true Christian and civil liberty in opposition to all unchristian, licentious, and unjust practices, whereby God may give his due, Caesar his due, I'm sorry, whereby, whereby God may have his due, Caesar his due, and the people their due, from tyranny and oppression. The first legislative act undertaken in Pennsylvania was a, a straightforward declaration of the Christian nation of the colony and the rejection of everything in opposition to Christianity. Yet Jewish merchants were already working the slave trade. They were already were. They were here with the Dutch along the eastern seaboard wherever the Dutch had settled. Therefore, as soon as Englishmen began to establish Christian colonies in the New World, the Jews were not far behind. In many cases, they were already here. There was already a big synagogue in Newark, New Jersey, and there were already synagogues in other colonies, New Amsterdam. And at an early time, the Jews were very influential in Philadelphia in spite of Penn's legislation. The following two paragraphs are from the same Wikipedia article, The History of the Jews in Philadelphia. And they're very, very telling. And, and I was very surprised to see this in Wikipedia. I could have found it in, in many other books. Jewish traders were operating in southeastern Pennsylvania long before Penn. 
The first Jewish resident of Philadelphia on record was Jonas Aaron. His name appears in 1703 and the American Historical Register of April 1895 is cited. Isaac Miranda, the first Jew in the English colonies to hold a judicial position, owned property in the town at an early date. He arrived in Philadelphia about 1710 and at once engaged in trade with the Indians. That is a typical Jew, to immediately engage in trade with the aliens. That there were several Jewish families in the city in 1734, as is proved by the fact that the German traveler von Beck enumerates them among the religious sects of the town. One of the earlier inhabitants was Nathan Levy, who applied in 1738 for a plot of ground to be used as a place of burial for his family. He obtained his grant September 25, 1740, and the plot was thenceforth known as the Jews' Burying Ground. It was the first Jewish cemetery in the city and was situated in Spruce Street near 9th Street. It has been the property of the Congregation Mikveh Israel for more than a century now. David Franks was another prominent Jewish resident, 1720 to 1794. He went to Philadelphia early in life and engaged in business with Nathan Levy under the firm name of Levy and Franks, this being the first Jewish business house in the city. Part of their business consisted of the importation of slaves along with Joseph Marx, Jewish merchants from Rhode Island, Jacob Rivera, and Aaron Lopez. Note the Jews with the Spanish-sounding names. Note that I say Spanish-sounding and not Spanish. They brought in about 650 or over half the slaves that arrived in the region in 1748. One year alone, right? When the City Dancing Assembly, the city's most famous social organization, was founded, among the names of, on the subscription list were those of David Franks, Joseph Marks, and Samson Levy, undoubtedly trying to get dancers with white women. In a flock of sheep, wolves left to roam freely will always have full bellies. In a Christian society, the Jews, whose nature it is to profit from usury, gambling, slave trading, and every other vice and racket they can conjure, will always acquire the lion's share of the wealth. It's the natural order of things. So it was in an early America. Not only were Jews responsible for nearly all of the slave trade in the colonies, Notice that the Wikipedia said that those particular Jews were responsible for half of it. It doesn't tell you who was responsible for the other half. So it was in early America. Not only were the Jews responsible for nearly all of the slave trade in the colonies, but later Jews were at the vanguard of the drive to free the slaves, which they themselves had once sold. Why would they do that? Because they couldn't sell slaves anymore, it had become outlawed. They couldn't take advantage of black labor unless they agitated to free it so that they could purchase it. On an hourly basis, corporate slavery rather than chattel slavery. 
The Jews were at the vanguard to free the slaves which they themselves had once sold, which they themselves imported, and to make them the equals of white citizens in a Christian society which grew up around them. The Jew has been behind race mixing and the promotion of aliens in white Christian society from the beginning. Since the Jew is not the spawn of Israel, but is actually descended from the ancient Kenite, Canaanite, and Edomite races of Scripture, it is clear that historically this has been his agenda for thousands of years, and it is not merely a modern trend. The Jew has been and will forever be the enemy of everything pure, especially regarding purity of race, and the enemy of everything Christian. For over 200 years now, the Jew has been working to subvert white Christian society in America, with Jewish money and politics eventually buying the American Civil War, which was instigated by the Rothschilds in London, and the elevation of the alien Negro to citizenship, and with the opening of immigration from countries other than Northern Europe, the Jew has been able to greatly diminish the political power of the original white Christian founding stock of the nation. Jeffersonian liberalism held the ideal that a God-fearing nation could govern itself and should therefore be free of the tyranny of either the church or the monarch. Jewish liberalism, with a small L, has taken God out of the nation and imposed the tyranny that both the church and the monarch could only envy. The Jew has engineered this quite carefully with the money of Jewish plutocrats having bought enough influence to completely corrupt both American academia and American religious thought by the 1930s. Thus, the corrupt Zionist biblical interpretations of Schofield and Bollinger, which are still on the shelves today, and the Marxist political agendas found quite early on at universities such as Columbia and Harvard, through Jewish money and influence, and through a nearly completely Jewish-controlled media, Jewish liberalism has now become the norm in so-called mainstream American political and religious thought. With the confluence of Jews in Philadelphia from the earliest times, and with the importance which the city has to white American culture, it should be no surprise that the preponderance of new monuments in Philadelphia are Jewish monuments. With wars both economic and military, white Christian America has been in a downward spiral ever since the Jewish bankers have been allowed control of the American economy and therefore the control of American politics since the passage of the Federal Reserve Act in 1913. The act placed full control of the creation of currency into the hands of a cartel of Jewish banking families, and all the U.S. Treasury does is print the bills, which are really only debt notes that the American people are then stuck with. Since that time, Jews have come to dominate all American business, politics, and culture. Across the street from Independence Mall in Philadelphia, there is a large new Jewish museum, the so-called National Museum of American Jewish History, 
We like to call it the Jewseum, and and that word's a term that I've discovered has been around a while. The the Jewseum builds builds itself as the only museum anywhere dedicated to chronicling the American Jewish experience. We did not enter the museum on our recent visits to the city because we did not care to submit to the x-rays and searches that signs at the entrance warned us about. The thought was that perhaps TSA employees moonlighted there also, and we were in no mood to be molested. Of course, that statement is tongue-in-cheek, but it's probably accurate. (laughs) Such is life in a culture dominated by the eternal enemies of God. Speaking of security, Independence Mall in Philadelphia also now has a security checkpoint, and there is only one entrance and one exit to the entire complex, so much for the land of liberty. Every person entering is scrutinized by a squad of federal police, and every bag is inspected. A truly free and open society has no fear of such violence. Yet America, under Jewish influence, has become no better than a communist tyranny, and tyrants always fear violence. But aside from the Jewseum, Jews have long dominated Philadelphia cultural life. For instance, Jewish art is prevalent at the Museum of Art in Philadelphia. One glaring example is the macabre social consciousness sculptor, sculpture, I'm sorry, by somebody named Jacob Epstein, which was done circa 1954, which holds a prominent position at the entrance to the Philadelphia Museum of Art, the West Entrance. The Kimmel Center. The Kimmel Center is a prominent um, cultural center in Philadelphia, and Kimmel also has a theater in the National Constitution Center that I did not mention in my article. The Kimmel Center was financed by the same investment banker who was behind the Jewseum project, and that institution has dominated Philadelphia performing arts. Yet in stark contrast to these Jewish institutions and these Jewish monuments, the University of Pennsylvania's Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology looks like it has not obtained a new exhibit of its own since the 1930s. In other words, the Christian institutions do not seem to be growing or getting anything new in Philadelphia. While much of the Jewish art and institutions of Philadelphia claims to celebrate America, it is clearly not America which the Jews truly care about. Steps from the Jewseum, there is a monument to the Entebbe commando raid, which happened in Uganda. It was all over an airplane hijacking, right? Why is there a monument to an event? which was an operation of the Mossad and the Israeli military in Uganda, why is that in the area of Independence Hall in Philadelphia? You'd think that maybe the commando raid happened in Philadelphia. 
There is also a very large and a very grotesque Holocaust Memorial statue sitting in the so-called Philadelphia Holocaust Memorial Garden, just a few blocks from Independence Hall, and the Jews have named this the Monument to the Six Million Jewish Martyrs, as if there was ever such a Holocaust, which there was not. But regardless of whether the so-called Holocaust happened or not, why is there a park and a monument in Philadelphia commemorating an event which supposedly took place in another country concerning people who were not Americans 5,000 miles away? During most of the first 200 years of its, of its existence, Pennsylvania's population was comprised of as many German settlers as there were English. These Germans had just emerged from a real and harrowing experience, the Thirty Years' War. In the Thirty Years' War, Germany struggled for survival against a really evil empire, the Roman Catholic Church. During that war, nearly half of the men of Germany were killed and a third of the towns and villages in Germany were utterly destroyed. The Thirty Years' War was agitated primarily by the Jesuits, an order founded by Jews who, under pretense, converted to Catholicism and used the order to advance their own Judeo-imperialist cause. Yet, settling in Pennsylvania, the Germans, who suffered so greatly in the Thirty Years' War, built no monuments to a real Holocaust, which was of much greater magnitude and much more horrible than anything that any Jew ever suffered anywhere. Likewise, millions of Irish settlers in America never built a monument to the oppression of the Irish in Europe although many of them had come here to America to escape the horrors imposed on them directly by the English in Britain, which also had been instigated by the Jewish merchants of London. The Germans, the Irish, the French Huguenots, even the first English Puritans, all of these groups were oppressed in Europe. None of these groups built monuments in America to their persecutions in Europe. Only the Jews built monuments to the episodes of their supposed persecutions. And even when they themselves are not the Jews who were persecuted or even involved. The Jews built such monuments so that they can elevate themselves above other groups, in appearance claiming the moral high ground, so that they may denigrate all other groups. Zionism is organized Jewish racism. While the Jews decry all ethnically white identity groups as racist, they practice organized Jewish racism. Pointing at the so-called Holocaust, the Jews try persecution every time they were opposed, they are opposed politically. And in that manner, 
they seek to put themselves above reproach. Once the Jews are above reproach, no matter what it is, their political agenda becomes unstoppable because in the eyes of the public, the Jew cannot be criticized. The Jew cannot be opposed. This is a complex psychological game which the Jew plays and which the average people, most average people, will never take the time to understand. And since the true Jewish agenda is to flood all white Christian societies with aliens in an effort to destroy both the white race and Christian society, as long as the Jews are considered to be above reproach, the real morality of such perverted ideas like globalism, diversity, and multiculturalism is never questioned, since the Jews, who are above reproach, are the primary developers and proponents of those ideas. Yet this tendency that white Europeans have to neglect or even to virtually forget their own national pasts leaves the door open for those who want to manipulate them so that they can rewrite that past at their own convenience. That's exactly what's going on with white people today. The Jews are rewriting our history. And so it is at Independence Hall and also at the National Constitution Center in Philadelphia. Of the Independence Hall tour guides, at least one, his name is Matthew Ithel, has gone so far as to invent his own history, such as by describing a war between certain states, which he claimed helped to necessitate the USS Constitution and the replacement of the Articles of Confederation, or by describing the founding of the colony of Pennsylvania for the quote-unquote religious freedom of Jews, Christians, and Muslims. And that's what the man said. Of course, it is well documented that William Penn, as we've already discussed here, was considering neither Jews nor Muslims when he sought to found a Christian empire in America. Mr. Ithel, whether wittingly or unwittingly, perfectly represents the Jewish agenda of diversity, rewriting history to make the world comfortable with globalism. We tried to get a recording of him. However, when we went back to Philadelphia in June, Mr. Ithel was working at a desk job, handing out tickets, and an older woman was giving the Independence Hall tours. While her presentation was not as outrageous as Mr. Ithel's, Many things concerning the founding of our nation which she did not mention, things which Ithel also neglected to relate, are just as disturbing to see omitted as the outright misrepresentations which we had seen and heard. I have a scripture note here, and, and I have another one soon, and, and they relate to the... Um, Tendency of our race to forget our history, right? This is from Deuteronomy chapter 28, which lists the consequences of disobedience to God. Yahweh shall smite thee with madness and blindness and astonishment of heart, 
and thou shalt grope at noonday, as the blind gropes in darkness, and thou shalt not prosper in thy ways, and thou shalt be only oppressed and spoiled evermore, and no man shall save thee. What is presented at the relatively new National Constitution Center is absolute treachery. The center has, in fact, little to do with the Constitution at all, and much to do with the demonization of the founders of this nation and the aggrandizement of Negroes and the role of women in society. I guess they had to throw the role of women in there and, and the... The, the woman's suffrage movement and the right to vote so that they could win the hearts of 50% of Americans and lie about everything else. If one who had no prior knowledge of American history toured the National Constitution Center, he would most certainly leave there thinking that the American Revolution fought against the British was indeed fought for the purpose of freeing the Negro slaves and giving women the right to vote. There is little else reflected in its presentations. It is sickening. And now my other quote from Deuteronomy. Because the reasons that we are suffering in this manner as a nation, are evident in our Bible. The stranger that is within thee shall get up above thee very high, and thou shalt come down very low. He shall lend to thee, and thou shalt not lend to him. He shall be the head, and thou shalt be the tail. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon thee, and shall pursue thee and overtake thee, till thou be destroyed because thou hearkenest not unto the voice of Yahweh thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded thee. This nation, the greatest nation the world has seen to date, was founded on Christian principles. As we departed from those Christian principles and started chasing the idols that we find in the world, the Jew came to rule over us and elevate the Negro. The fulfillment of the pronouncements of disobedience in Deuteronomy chapter 28. At the National Constitution Center, there is not actually much at all said which is from the Constitution itself. Rather, much is said which is designed to leave doubt in the minds of visitors concerning those men who wrote the Constitution. In other words, the National Constitution Center was actually set up to attack the principles that this nation was founded on and to discredit the white men who founded it. For instance... Two treacherously designed questions are posed over and over again in displays and kiosks at the center. And these questions are both based on false premises. False premises, I'm sorry. The two questions are, one, was the United States truly one nation or was it a confederacy of sovereign and separate states? The second question is, 
how could a country founded on the belief that all men were created equal tolerate slavery? To the first question, I will let the Federalist, John Quincy Adams, who was the son of the Federalist, John Adams, give the answer. John Quincy Adams, in a speech entitled, The Jubilee of the Constitution, a discourse delivered at the request of the New York Historical Society in the city of New York on Tuesday, the 30th of April, 1839, being the 50th anniversary of the inauguration of George Washington as President of the United States on Thursday, the 30th of April, 1789, stated in his conclusion the following, and I quote John Quincy Adams, Fellow citizens, the Ark of your Covenant is the Declaration of Independence. Your Mount Ebal is the confederacy of separate state sovereignties. And your Mount Gerizim is the Constitution of the United States. Now, we need some biblical background, and, and I've seen most of the commentators that comment on this quote don't have the biblical background, so they don't understand it. Mount Ebal was the place in the Bible where curses were pronounced. Adams was a Federalist. So he saw the Confederacy of Separate State Sovereignties to be a curse on the nation. Mount Gerizim was the place in the Bible where blessings were pronounced. This is all in Deuteronomy chapter 11. Adams is therefore not stating that he was in favor of separate state sovereignties. He was against them. He was a Federalist. However, he was admitting the reality of the fact of their existence. And that's important because he was a Federalist. So this question that the National Constitution, asks, Constitution Center asks is deceptive. And this question was asked at the time of the Civil War. There's no doubt. They are not making this up. But this question was asked at the time of the Civil War by the controlled media of the time, the media of the plutocrats, the media of the New York Wall Street Jews. They were asking this question in the 1860s. Well, John Quincy Adams answers the question, and the writings of many other founding fathers answer the question. There's no doubt that he, a Federalist, didn't like the idea, but he recognized the fact that this nation was founded by 13 separate sovereign states. We forget our history, so the Jew gets to rewrite it. It is clear that these United States, not the United States, were founded as a confederation of sovereign states, but it was not the government which held the sovereignty, it was the people. Adam said in the same speech, quote, It is not immaterial to remark that the signers of the Declaration, meaning the Declaration of Independence, 
the, the theme of Adams's speech shows how the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence are, are um, congruent and the Articles of Confederation and the Declaration of Independence are opposed to each other. Uh, okay, that's the whole gist of his speech. So he's upholding the the um, he, he's upholding the legitimacy of the Constitution in the context of the Declaration of Independence, and that's his entire gist of of, of his speech here. And the speech is linked to the Still Philadelphia article, and it is found on Christogenia. Adams said in the same speech, it is not immaterial to remark that the signers of the Declaration, though qualifying themselves as representatives of the United States of America in General Congress assembled, yet issued the Declaration in the name and by the authority of the good people of the colonies, and that they declare not each of the separate colonies, but the United Colonies, free and independent states. The whole people declared the colonies in their united condition of right, free, and independent states. So John Quincy Adams, being a Federalist, this second time proves that the United States is a confederation of separate sovereign states. And that's the way it should have always been viewed. It was the ignorance of the people and the treachery of the plutocrats and the Civil War that convinced people otherwise. And, and because the people were ignorant, it was easy for them to fall for it. And I'll quote from Adams, But there still remained the last and crowning act which the people of the Union alone were competent to perform, the institution of civil government for that compound nation. And that's, he, he's still recognizing the sovereignty of the separate states by use of the word compound, the United States of America. At this day, it cannot but strike us as extraordinary that it does not appear to have occurred to any one member of that assembly which had laid down in terms so clear, so explicit, so unequivocal, the foundation of all just government and the imprescriptible rights of man and the transcendent sovereignty of the people and who in those principles had set forth their only personal vindication from the charges of rebellion against their king and of treason to their country, that their last crowning act was still to be performed upon the same principles. That is, the institution by the people of the United States of a civil government to guard and protect and defend them all. Today, the government that our fathers formed loots and pillages and rapes us all. In truth, the Federalist question was not about sovereignty. It was only about how much government the states would delegate to the federal government. But the authority of the government ultimately belonged to the people and not to either the states or to the federal government. The plutocrats, for their own convenience, would rather have the people believe that they exist for the sake of government and not government for the sake of the people. As to the second question, in the context of the Declaration of Independence, and the second question is, how could a nation, based on the, the, the profession that all men are created equal, tolerate slavery? 
in the context of the Declaration of Independence, which is not even a part of the Constitution, the phrase, all men are created equal, was stated to support a break from tyranny and not to form a new nation, something which the writers were not considering at the time. It was written in the context of the King of England's refusal to treat all Englishmen equally under the law. And therefore, the phrase means that all men were created equally in the eyes of the law. Whether they were in Britain or America, or from whatever class they happened to belong to. It has nothing to do with a man's class or condition, just as it has nothing to do with a man's skills or talents. And even many whites were indentured at the time that the Declaration was written. In fact, most of the newly arriving immigrants from Europe arrived under indenture, a temporary form of slavery, right? Since the Declaration pertained only to Englishmen under an English government, Negroes were not even a part of the context, and they were not even considered. In fact, whether non-white adult males were even considered to be men in the civil sense by 18th century Englishmen is arguable. The modern definition of man, which is virtually confined to the idea that any man, that, that a man is any adult male hominid, that definition is a product of relatively modern secular humanism and cannot be transferred to 18th century Englishmen. In fact, in a relatively recent Merriam-Webster dictionary, and I have scans of the pages online linked to the article, the dictionary being from 1994, under the word man, one of the definitions is, quote, often capitalized white society or people. The African, whether slave or free, was never meant to be a part of white society in America. And writings from the founders, such as Jefferson, and all the way up through Abraham Lincoln himself, prove that to be their sentiment. Liberia was formed and its capital named after President James Monroe. This wasn't mentioned in the Constitution Center, right? Because Monroe was in office when a private organization called the American Colonization Society purchased the land that became Liberia, and in 1821 and 22 used it to repatriate freed Negro slaves. Monroe was, in fact, a prominent supporter of the, the endeavor. There is nothing about any of this in the rhetoric at the National Constitution Center. At the National Constitution Center, all of the history of the nation, up through the aftermath of the Civil War, properly the War of Northern Aggression, revolves around the issue of slavery. The colonization of the West is presented in the context of whether the several territories becoming states would allow slavery. In reality, slavery was not even the cause of the Civil War, and there were many other issues which the young nation faced other than slavery. 
However, in Philadelphia, history is being rewritten to advance the Jewish agenda and to hell with the truth. Everywhere you look at the National Constitution Center, you are confronted with a display or a kiosk promoting images of diversity and multiculturalism. Alien immigration is celebrated loudly, and white history is clearly, as the prevailing attitude suggests, a thing of the past. For the most part, the only white history presented at the center, from after the time of the founders, is that which has to do with Negroes, with women, and with other non-whites. The Jew, forever the corrupter of white culture, not truly understanding it and being alien to it, was the driving force behind the liberation of the Negro slaves and their elevation to the position of free and so-called equal citizenship. The Jew has also been the champion of the non-white immigration from other places around the globe. The immigrants, also alien to the white culture and history, are even more readily accepting of the false premises offered by Jewish versions of history. all while white Christians worship at the altar of a Zenith-corrupted and Judaized Christianity, which bears no resemblance at all to true Christianity, and they do not even realize what is happening to their own nation. John Quincy Adams said in the same speech I referenced above that, and I quote, it was moved that in determining questions, each state should have one vote for every 50,000 white inhabitants. John Quincy Adams was a young man at the Constitutional Convention. His father was a delegate from Massachusetts and had a large hand in the founding of this nation. He should know what they meant. And he had expressed no reservations by saying, that it was moved that in determining questions, each state should have one vote for every 50,000 white inhabitants. He's talking about the Constitution. He had absolutely no reservations making this distinction in 1839 when he gave this speech. Adams did not need an explicit mention of the word white in the Constitution because, unlike most Americans today, Adams knew the definition of posterity. The Constitution was made by white men and was expressly stated to have been made to, quote, secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Posterity, in the American Heritage College Dictionary, third edition, is one, future generations. Two, all of a person's descendants. Whose future generations? Well, when they wrote to ourselves and our posterity, they are talking about their own future generations, their own descendants. The Constitution was made for white men and the descendants of those white men and those white citizens of the states whom they represented when they signed it. It was never supposed to be for Negroes or for any other 
aliens. It was never even supposed to be for whites who came after it was signed. Immigration and the determination of who could vote and who could not were choices which the Constitution explicitly left to the full discretion of the several independent sovereign states. Because the people of those states neglected their history, the Jew rewrote it for them. In Philadelphia today, the Jew continues to rewrite it, and the Jew may try to rewrite it until whites disappear from it altogether. We have a promise of hope in Daniel. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Daniel 2.44 can only be describing the white Germanic peoples and no one else. Okay, that's all I'm going to present tonight. Uh, I mean, I have a, an, an article on um, a, a, a paragraph or two on philodeviancy and, and the, the existence of, of this officially sanctioned queer neighborhood in Philadelphia. I think I'll skip that. <laughs> that's, I don't need it. Not right now. And, and um, thank you for listening. And, and if anybody has any comments and any further discussion, would be appreciated. This is an open forum, and, and I hope somebody has something to say. Don't all rush at once now. Hello, Bruce. Hello, Bill. I was looking for that car. Good, are you? I, I, I was that. What you all spoke about reminded me of that. Uh, cartoon of the anti-Semitic cartoon. <laughs> I don't know That's so ridiculous, that term, anti-Semite. Such a stupid term. The cartoon of the little the little uh, Jew rabbi holding the menorah over the... Well, well, I can't be an anti-Semite, but I'm an anti-Antichrist. I mean, it's simple. No, I don't... No, I'm just saying that whole anti-Semite wording is just a big trick they use on... On us, that's all. Well, well, I have a um, an admission of that from a Jew attached to this article. And, and yes, it is a big trick. It, it's it's crocodile tears. It, it's um that you know that that they pull on the crocodile tears and and they they cry oppression and, and they get what they want. They know that it works. It's a recipe for success. They're gonna keep cooking the same recipe. As long as it's successful. It's pretty simple. Well, we can smell the stink of it. And uh, whenever a Jew wants to put his, uh, you know, cry on our shoulders, we can just tell them they can go straight to hell and tell them what, what's really up. Or people sympathize with them. Well, well, that's got to be done.
Well, well, if nobody pipes up, I'm just going to end the program. I, I mean, somebody has to have some input here. I, I can't have an open forum with no open with no participants. It's not possible that there's 20-something people here that nobody wants to talk. <laughs> you stifled them, Bill. Uh, I guess so. I, I think they went to watch a ball game or something. All of them. They're just hearing pretense or something. I don't. I don't know. Maybe it's Bruce with 19 computers. <laughs> now, as far as as far as uh, that trip to Philadelphia, it's uh, it was it was pretty shocking. I, I it wasn't mentioned in your article, but there there were a couple of shrines in that National Constitution Center. I just thought were absolutely appalling. Well, well, I had hoped to write a, a, a deeper article just on the National Constitution Center, right? Yeah. In, in the future. What was to, to Roosevelt, and that was just, it was it was literally disgusting. A whole section out there where he had his little, um, his fireplace and I guess his fireside chats he used to do or something. Right. It was all canned by the media, all of those displays. Yeah. But but um, the, the, the telling thing is what is not there. Right, because there's nothing. Well, there's nothing, absolutely nothing about the Constitution. It was it was a totally ridiculous, one big gigantic propaganda scene. Well, with no doubt, the number of of Jews that were in there was incredible. I mean, everywhere you looked, they had their little beanie caps on. I was like shocked. It was actually perfect because a lot of times I'll go around in the area and I won't see anything, but it seems like when you and Delaney show up. All these people uh, pop out. <laughs> well, well, there was nothing. There was no display on Andrew Jackson. There was nothing about the first two central banks of the United States, and they were a huge issue at the time. Well, that was they, one of, the, as far as I'm concerned, that was one of the big issues of breaking away from England. Was it was the taxation issue, which was caused by the central bank. Well, well, right, and, and there was nothing about that at the National Constitution Center. That they had something about the, the um, Madison versus Marbury decision and, and um, one or two other little court decisions that that were um, that only had to do. One of them had to do with the Supreme Court giving them giving itself powers that weren't in the Constitution that it's had ever since, which had made the world safe for the plutocrats. And the other two had to do court decisions had to do with slavery, Dred Scott. And, and aside from that, there was nothing that there was nothing on, on any American history until the Civil War, except in the context of slavery. And, and it was despicable because slavery was, for most of those years, a very minor issue, just a complete perversion. Now, you've got to go and see it, Ruth, just to see it for yourself. It's absolutely terrible. The other, uh, the other startling thing I thought was uh, was somewhat amusing was that there were a, a number of whites in there that were working, and those whites were all volunteers. I kept, I've asked a few of them, and it, it seemed like all the whites were volunteers. All the people that were getting paid to stand around and do nothing were black. Right. And this Ifill's character was definitely a Yid, huh? It looked like one. I mean, it wasn't. We didn't go up and ask, "Are you? Are you? Are you a Jew?" But probably. 
I find well, that. what they had at the Constitution Center is they had employees and, and, and blazers who were mostly Negroes. They were mostly black. And they had volunteers that were wearing little, um, little red golf shirts. And the volunteers were actually the people that were interfacing with the tourists. The volunteers were explaining history. The volunteers were explaining the, the different kiosks and, and what the message they were giving. The volunteers were t talking about the, the Constitution with, or, or whatever the topic was with people. And the people that were wearing the blazers weren't doing a damn thing. And, and they had the volunteers, I'm sure, because they can't employ people that are qualified, so they just start a volunteer program. Yeah, they're, they're not, well, well, they won't employ people that are qualified, let's put it that way. So they're just the perfect horror for the Jews there. The volunteers are, yeah. They're not realizing that if it weren't for the volunteers, the National Constitution Center would basically fall apart because the Negroes don't know a damn thing about history of the Constitution. The, the tourists would be left um, perplexed and, and, and would consistently complain. Although they did manage to find one black woman that uh, stood up there and gave us a big speech. Yeah, and I'll have her speech online sooner or later. I think I have it there now. I'm not sure. That was not a very good speech. I guess from her perspective, it was a good speech. But from her perspective, speech? it was a great speech. It was a, it was the perfect, um, it, it was the whole diversity thing, you know, the, the celebrating freedom. Now, how big is this Holocaust Museum they got? Set up there, this circus show. What? How big is that? Oh, there's what a museum. It? There's another one. There's actually three museums. There's a there's the uh, African North American Museum, Black Museum, and then there's the um, well, the National Constitution Center really isn't a museum. No. There's the Archaeology Museum, and then there's a Jewsium. Those are the three big ones. And the Art Museum is big. Well, the Art Museum, we didn't go to that. But I don't know. That's, I don't know what I would consider the art museum. No, it's basically uh, three-haired palaces set up there, huh? Well, you can see what they're spending the money on, and it's not white history. Well, well, right. They're not spending the money at the UPenn Museum. They're not spending the money except for for facial decoration. Right, right. They're, they're redoing the outside again of Independence Hall. But there's no money going into any of the white cultural and, and historical exhibits. All of the money is going into things that are Jewish and Negro. You know what's amazing is this is kind of the same thing that happened in Russia before they ended up toppling everything. I see it's going down exactly the same path. Yeah, they introduced uh, laws that if anybody spoke about a Jew, it was a death sentence, right? And... And we shouldn't be afraid of any of that. So, I mean, as far as inwardly, we it doesn't mean you have to go out and get a flame torch and start burning Jews, because you're always going to do that faithfully. He's much better at fire than we are anyways. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what topples this whole Babylon system. Because it's just it's getting worse. I mean, there are a lot of people that are revolting. You see them on the internet. You certainly do not see them visibly in the Jew media. 
Yeah, forgetting about our white heritage, uh, our ancestry, and, and the fact that the sons of God are the white Anglo-Saxons, um, then we, we, we take upon ourselves a cloak of fear that, you know, that has a lot of different deep roots and branches, and we need to, first we need to be on fire for Yahweh inwardly and burn all of that Babylonian root out. Uh, we're no good if we can't do that, in the sense of having an understanding according to Scripture. But fear is uh, paralyzing, and I think that's the main instrument Dr. Death of Jews use on the sleeping giant. You know where Japan said we've awoken a, a sleeping giant? Uh, well... It, you know, the Jews, are their enemy is, is the Almighty. And uh, God's very children, and they don't know what a sleeping giant is. Not yet, Bruce. Not yet. I guess it's a matter of perspective, too, Bruce. I mean, if you have, if you have, if you're literally standing, one person standing amongst a sea of a vile evil, and most of that sea of the vile evil is your own brethren. There, there's not a whole lot you can do until this group finally wakes up. When they wake up, I think all hell's going to break. Well, that's why it's so hard to see the forest from the trees right now. Yeah, because there's only a few of us that really have a clue. And yeah, I'm, not really sure, yeah. I'm not really sure how educated we are right now. Yeah, well, I, I picture a big, ugly, hook-nosed, rat-faced, Kreikenstein, Dr. Death, standing over the body of Christ with all of his instruments. And maybe the eyes and uh, the mind knows what's going on, but it's also aware that most of the body is paralyzed. Um, Yahweh can kick those kikes out just as quickly as he allowed them to come here for waking us up. But I, I don't. I don't see it. I mean, it. It might seem like all hope is lost, and and there's, you know, oh these Jews. But well, we know that to, body, the body's going to wake up. It's going to get to a point where people are re going to refuse to service the cities because the crime is going to get so so large. I mean, that's already happened in some of the major cities like Detroit, where you can't even find a grocery store in the center of it. And that's what it's going to come to in a lot of these metropolitan areas. I mean, Philadelphia hasn't gotten to that point yet, but eventually it will. You know, and you have to wonder how how much longer can they literally prop up the dollar? They can keep printing to forever. I don't see any issue with that. As long as they, the whole purpose of the of the Federal Reserve note is to transfer all of the wealth out of the hands of the whites into the hands of all of the brown and blacks of the world. That's all. That's its only purpose. It has no other purpose. And, and, and once it's, it, it can accomplish that through printing, why would the Chinese not continue to take our, quote, debt notes and exchange that for real property in the U.S., just continue the game that the Jews are playing? They're not stupid. There may be some Jew propaganda on TV saying it's going to collapse and it's going to do this and that. I, I don't think it's necessarily going to be that type of collapse. People think it is, but I, I don't know if it is or not. 
the game well, still goes. Well, it's not... I mean, yeah, you can keep printing money, but but there has to be... Even though it's fiat currency, even though you can't go to a bank and purchase gold or silver with it necessarily, um, there still has to be a perceived value to it. And that's why you have the the constant inflation. That's why you have, since the dollar's institution, the fact that it at no point has it ever gained in value. It has only lost value since its inception. And how long can that possibly be devalued before the the realization is that this our monetary system is literally worthless? That it is just paper. So just uh, redefine it and start it over again, just like they've done with the peso. I don't know what the big deal is. Yeah, and all of all of Yahweh's creation is upheld by the word of His power, not by the script of a Jew. If the Jews' money falls, good. It's not a problem. We, we'll, yeah, but I'm saying it's fallen in many countries. I don't know where that, why that's such an issue. It's just that it, quote, hasn't fallen in the U.S. Actually, it has fallen in the U.S. It's only worth about 1% of what it originally was worth, if that. Right. I mean, if you held a gold coin, $20 gold piece from 1913 you know, or something, 1920, that gold piece is worth, what, sixteen, seventeen hundred dollars $1,700 now. That's right. Kind of well, my my point is, you know, there's the same jobs available today that were available for almost the same amount um, 10, 15 years ago, and the price of everything has at least doubled since then. You know, there's, there's a, such a system of checks and balances within this economic system that you know, yeah, sure, you can just keep printing money, but it'll get to the point where you need wheelbarrowfuls of it like you did in, in the Weimar Republic. But when people do not have access to that because they don't even have a job, you know, that's when you're, you're talking a literal collapse. That's where civilization literally collapses because people do not know what to do with themselves. They don't know how to purchase goods. They don't know how to get food for themselves and fend for themselves. They're used to going to their silly little meaningless job to make a couple of these uh, pieces of paper to, to take in exchange for goods that they need to, to live and survive. Well, then maybe only the people who know how to do agriculture and farming will survive, and so be it. Us city dwellers, us idiots will die. So it, so it is. I mean... I, we're on the, as far as I'm concerned, uh, pretty much everybody in this in this um, forum right now uh, is 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 more or less useless in a real society. Can't farm, you can't produce anything. You know, I mean, I I, I look at what I what I can do. Well, what the hell use is that if I need to feed a family? Absolutely useless. We're we're all on the wrong path here. And if you're expecting a complete collapse of society, then you better get out there and get some farming going on because you're not going to get fed uh, by the regular industries anymore. But then no, you're, you're right. You. You're absolutely right, Bob. 
But that I mean, is the, the kind of reality that, that we can be faced with. Now, it doesn't mean it will be an utter collapse everywhere, but, I mean, we are looking at similar circumstances happening throughout the world right now. Yeah, it could be as simple as the, the that the U.S. collapses to the point where these inner cities, you know, whatever food's left, and the rest of them end up shooting each other for whatever's left, and they start to come out of the cities, and then the farming people just shoot the people coming out of the cities. Well, and think about it, Bob. The, the United States, the United States is still considered the pinnacle of civilization right now in the world today. The United States is like. It's like having your general on the army in a battle and the general goes down and the army's just going to scatter. With what's happening to the United States and, and if, it, you know, if it degenerates further and even faster, you know, that can be viewed worldwide as a general collapse and, and cause a, a kind of you know, ripple effect through the, the quote-unquote world economy and things of that nature. Well, we could just deteriorate into a Brazil, so you just barely function. You're no longer a superpower, you just, you're just a mess. Right, but then there's pretty much no more superpowers, no more white superpowers anyway. That, I mean, that's what we're looking at. That all throughout all civilization and, and recorded history, there has always been a white superpower. And once the, the United States, because Europe is pretty much, they're, they're in their death throes now. And once the United States goes, there is no more true superpower. There is no more white superpower. Yeah, what they're hoping for is not an economic collapse, but just a transfer of wealth. Well, they're pretty much done that. Well, yeah, the parasite can only suck the host so, you know for so much blood before the host dies. I call that a collapse. Well, the Jews the Jews are going to push as long as, as they possibly can because they know that once this country goes down, they're going to hell. And they they know they know that they got to suck it as long as they possibly can and it's in Yahweh's time and Yahweh's the superpower and uh I know the white nationalists promote that white supremacy stuff, but we all know that Yahweh is the Almighty. He's going to take care. He's going to wrap things up very quickly when He appears, and whenever that is, I don't know when, but uh, that's what our our faith is in. It's not in some political solution. We we know that's uh, excluded. As far well, as it'll be it'll be just before the parasite finishes off the host. You know, Yahweh's not going to let the host die. It's essentially his bride that he's watching get sucked dry. I mean, that's got to be frustrating for him, too. Think about it. You know, something that was interesting that, that Bob had brought up earlier was about how the American Revolution was started by the, uh, the Central Bank, the Bank of England, uh, you know, and, and the whole stamp act thing. But um, I don't know how much you've you looked into this, Bob, but how do you think that, that, uh, that Hamilton ended up yeah, up in the ranks for Washington. I just can always considered Hamilton just another traitor. I don't know. It's the same way that the Jews end up swindling their way into everything. So do you, do you think that 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 uh, Washington knew what was going on? 
What do you think business is going to say? I, 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 think, I think our whole white society has always underestimated the Jew. Absolutely. Well, it's like um, the, a lot of these people from from uh, South Africa that I'm talking to, you know, they seem to be, uh, on, a, on the whole, more aware of who they are and, and the relevance to Scripture um, than, than us Americans. But at the same time, they are a lot more forgiving towards the Jews and accept them a lot more than we do. But yet, look at their predicament. And they're, they're still not, you know, they're still not waking up. They still, they, they, they recognize a Jew problem in that, oh, yeah, well, the, the bankers are mainly Jewish and, and this, that, and the other. Oh, but, no, we, you know, we have some Jews that fight on our side. And, and some of these white people, I thought, well, I've got a, a couple of really nice Jewish friends, and I don't see, you know, what's wrong with me, blah, blah, blah. Well, well, simple. If you're a Christian, Christ tells you to, to reject all the Jews, period. That's the end of the story. That, that's what we're told. We're, we're clearly told to reject everybody who doesn't have the doctrine of the Christ. Right. Well, and, and if you, you want to believe your Bible, well, well, then for that reason alone, we must reject the Jew or we're not Christians. Now, if you want to talk about the reasons, we could talk about the reasons, but that has to be up front. There's one Jew left, they'll corrupt the lineage. And right, exactly. There's, there can yeah. be no Jews left. Yeah, and Paul even expounds on that, that uh, uh, curse be on them, you know. Curse them. They're, they're cursed. No. They're already cursed. You don't really need, we don't need to go around cursing them, but they're already cursed. Uh, hybrid, bastard, whatever. To hell with them. Well, they're having a ball right now. Yeah, but it only lasts for a season, right? Yeah, that's my whole life so far. I'm having a good old time. It'll pass. Going on since the garden. It'll only pass when they're gone, Biff Bruce. Yep. Huh? It'll only pass when they're gone. Yeah. It's our faith. We look forward to a new a heaven and a new earth where dwelleth uh, Yahweh's righteousness. And, uh, it's going to be uh, quite a bit of work, but it, it'll it'll it's nothing. There's no worthiness to compare it with eternity. The little crying you want to talk about the gayberhood, Bill? Yeah, well, I, 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 I just really didn't. I mean, it's disgusting enough, right? It's pretty thick. <laughs> Until you started asking about it, I didn't even know it existed. For a city to actually spend money on signs, that's incredible. And, and put an official sanction on, on, on perversity, <laughs> on sexual deviancy. They put their official sanction on sexual deviancy. 
I, you know, I agree with you. After I found out about that, I, I was thinking that that's probably why Elton John sings that song, Philadelphia Freedom. I, I really think so. I even put it in my paper. I didn't call him Elton John, though. I called him the queer British pop singer. That's what he is. Yeah. They should just call that main railway through Philadelphia, um, the Hershey Highway, or Fudge Packer Convention, right? Well, there was a movie with Tom Hanks about a, a guy with AIDS called Philadelphia, I believe it was. Yeah. And of course he was gay. The state of California is not teaching gay history in the schools. Yeah, I saw that. Gay history? The hell with American history. Let's teach gay history. Yeah, like who was it? Who was it? And how? And. Well, it's really about sad because on, on I'll tell you what I've noticed here lately on Facebook there have been a lot of advertisements for, for gay this and homosexual that and gay gay rights through the the the, the world some some bullshit world authority it's getting I mean they're just absolutely inundating Facebook with this garbage. what happens when you let a little bit in. There's there's an advertisement for Gay Parents magazine. It's just like it's just like the taxation issue. You you, you let them get started on something and the next thing you know it's going to be your whole paycheck. Same thing with the with the perversion. You let a little bit in and then the next thing you know everything's perverted. You can you don't even recognize anything that's decent anymore. Well, and that goes back to that that exact adage that that Joshua would throw out there: a little leaven leavens the whole dough. It happens every time. It does it's the yeah. same thing over and over and over again? Yeah, the pattern is that these third worlders um, cling on to this sexual miscreant uh, behaviorism, and then uh, it it uh, it just leaks around out of the cities where the Jews set up their synagogues like diarrhea. Well, and, and that whole thing, it, it's all part and partial to, to nearly every aspect, if you, if you think about it. I mean, especially even when it comes to, to race. Uh, you know, with the, any instance of race mixing, you know, if you have one drop of black or Jewish or Chinese blood in you, you're, you're pretty much ruined, just like a little bit of leaven ruins, leavens the whole dough. Absolutely. You're a broken sister. Once the genetic code is broken, that, that's, there's no coming back from that. There's no coming back from being black. So, so was George Washington duped or was, or was George Washington misled? About what? what? About Alexander Hamilton. Well, well, what you don't understand, Martin, is that many of the... the um, Politicians at the founding of this nation, I, I won't call them all founding fathers, right? Many of the, the prominent politicians at the founding of this nation had, had a diverse um, collection of ideas. They didn't all agree on anything. You're trying to break it down to black and white, and it's not black and white. Uh, I mean, Hamilton played the whole part of the patriot and the statesman, just like all the rest of them did. He just happened to be an agent for the central bankers. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, but they, they just, you can't break it down black and white. Uh, I mean, we should break it down black and white, but we never have. You're either a Christian and you're going to do things this way or you're going to leave. But we've never done that as a people. We've never practiced Christianity as a people. Yeah, it's interesting how, how uh, Hampton actually led the, uh, the Whiskey Rebellion. He led the troops to uh, put down the Whiskey Rebellion, which had to do with that taxation. Yeah, Clifton said that, um, Clifton's quoting um, Ezekiel 39, and they shall sever out men of continual employment. In, in other words, those, those men that take um, seven months to, to, to bury the bodies, they're going to work for us, right? I mean, they're going to be employed in doing that. So any of our brethren that don't have a job will have a shovel. But Clifton's saying we'll have enough money to bury them. <laughs> in other words, those men will get paid for that. <laughs> yeah, well, there really is a work issue in the United States right now. It's a it's a treasonous issue of what they've done with our with our companies. Exported them and then they tax Everything in the U.S., but everybody, everybody coming, every everything coming in, it's exactly reversed from the Constitution. It was always supposed to be import taxes and no export tax. Right. What well, we should have that the only original legitimate means by which the federal government and the Constitution could raise revenue was through tariffs, and, and it was tariffs on 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 um. Luxury goods, if you pay taxes on, if you pay tariffs on luxury goods and, and on imported goods, what you're doing is the people that don't want to find their produce made here are going to have to pay extra for it if they think it's better coming from overseas. And the people who have the money to buy Italian silks and, and um, French stilettos, well, well, they'll be supporting the government because they'll be paying the tariffs. We shouldn't even be trading with non-white countries anyhow. And, and back then, yeah, right, we shouldn't be trading with non-white countries. That's right. But, but Adolf Hitler's approach to trade was that you only imported what you couldn't make yourself, and you only exported what you had an excess of that you produced in overabundance. And if the people that, that you were trying to import from wouldn't take your goods in return, well, then you didn't buy anything off them. You just didn't need it. Well, first off, well, Washington had made uh, a few comments concerning the fact that uh, basically warning us that we should not get involved or embroiled in any treaties with any other foreign nation, for one. And then well, well, right, and no foreign wars, period. And and uh, and for your comment, Bob, in, in terms of, well, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. Where it's not, we're, we don't, it's not necessarily uh, a a job deprivation that we have here. It's the kind of work that we have here anymore. We have gone from a production nation, a manufacturing nation, a producer, to a service-oriented nation where all our our uh, professional jobs and, and jobs that 
you know, require um, uh, talent and motivation and intelligence and things of that nature. They've all been shipped overseas, and now all those markets are stagnant. I mean, you're not getting much in in the uh, advancement of technology from these companies that are that are basically doing most of their work in these uh, foreign countries. Well, we have the talent in this country. We're just not able to use it now. And soon the talent's going to be gone. And what about right, the companies right. that are coming from Mexico? Well, that's a whole other issue. I was trying to bring that up with Bruce yesterday. He kind of blew me off. The issue uh, I'm is sorry. That, that, oh, that, that they're, they're, they're taking over a whole other industry. It's not just going to affect. I was just, I was just specifically saying, Bruce, your industry is going to be killed. I mean, they're going to literally. That's next. You're going to have Mexicans trucking. All the all the white truckers are going to be gone, and you're going to have Mexicans all over the freaking country in these trucks because they're going to yep. undercut the whites. And and people don't see that. I, that that's what amazes me. Well, well, they don't care when it's not their pet industry. They don't care when it's not where they work. But that's how they're killing us one industry at a time. Well, right, because we don't stick together. Because people would typically rather save $5 and buy the toaster made in China. Let me tell you what's eventually going to happen here. These guys are going to cut the federal budget so severely, because I think that's the next thing, is they're going to put out all of these white guys, like myself, uh, out of work. They're going to they're going to finish off the entire white population because that's the only thing practically left in the country is working for a federal, state, or municipal government. There's almost nothing left that's a secure position. So after they get rid of the truckers, the next is going to is or at the same time they're going to kill the they're going to kill the uh, these uh, federal jobs. Right. I mean, you know, I've been. I've been out of work now from a full-time job for uh, almost a year and a half at this point. Um, you know, I, I, there was a point where, you know, I, I really couldn't even consider taking a job for less than $15 an hour. Now I'm having to consider taking a job at eight fifty because that's what's available. I'm not just, you know, going to say, well, that's only what's available, like, you know, there's only two jobs in the paper. and No, there's lots of Walmart jobs, McDonald's jobs, you know, uh, dock work, warehouse jobs, things of that nature that, that, you know, that's all that's left. I have a cousin like that. She has a degree, a four-year degree, honors um, with... Uh a business degree, and she worked for several businesses, and then uh, now she's employed at uh, at Lowe's for, I think, $9 an hour as a clerk. When all the businesses are in China, business degrees on were spit. That's yeah. Lord Brethren's problem, too. He thought yeah. he was doing the right thing and went and got himself a business degree, a four-year degree from a from a good school, and, and um, it's toilet paper. Yeah, the only reason I, I happen to have fortunately hit a, hit a good industry with with power, power power semiconductors and power electronics, but I mean that's isolated. When does that end? You know, when well, well, yeah, right. But a hard science is always better than than a, a business degree or a marketing degree or or what well, one of the well well one of the fuzzy sciences that 
I have Good. friends that are with engineering degrees who've been out of work for two or three years when companies collapsed. You know, so it's it it it, it, it can easily happen if you were a company man, you're ruined. I I mean I moved around, but the the days of what my father did with one company, that's over with. Well, that's been over since the seventies, probably. What, where you could work for one company for your entire career? Uh, I have an uncle that worked for Dun and Bradstreet for thirty years, or or better. I think he worked there from the mid fifties until the early nineties. My, my mother worked for um, Alpha Metals for for twenty years, and, and then she was um, she she was bought out. Yeah, they they, they they made her a deal and retired her early. My father put in over 40 years in Hercules, and then the Jews destroyed that company. But there's no reason that that, that can't take place. I mean, those are thriving companies. They're all overseas now, mostly Chinese doing them. Yeah, they're all overseas, and, and your father's and my mother's and my uncle's IRAs financed those companies going overseas. Don't doubt it. Well, when all that IRA money in the 1980s and was going into emerging market funds and, and Southeast Pacific funds, you know, the, the big um, bond funds and, and the big mutual funds, that money was being used. It was coming out of American retirement accounts and it was being used to buy American companies and move them over there, to buy American factories and move them over there. The American worker not only got put out of his jobs because the factories moved to China, the American worker financed a lot of it by investing his pensions, and, and it was Jews in, in, you know, running all these mutual funds, by investing that money in these emerging market funds. So, so private American investors invest a billion dollars in Malaysia. What does Malaysia do with the billion dollars? That they take it back over here and they buy up a bunch of American factories and move them to Malaysia. That's exactly what they did with them. So, not only did we lose our jobs to, to the east, but we financed it too, a, a good deal of it. Well, doesn't uh, Revelation essentially say we pay for our own destruction? Yeah, well. It's a damn shame people don't see it. They don't see it. They're all stuck on stupid. They're blind. I, I read the passages tonight. I only read two of them, but, but I mean they were pertinent. I'm not sure what's to be done now because there's not much manufactured in the U.S. and even your food products are coming from a lot of them from South America now. I have to apologize for not making this the default channel. I swore I set this to be the default channel. I must have missed with the mouse or something. Well, our anchors sure as hell shouldn't be in Babylon one way or another until Babylon does fall. Um, yeah, I'm trying to, still trying to figure out exactly what that whole thing means. I mean, I think Bill feels he has a grip on it, but... 
Well, well I mean, I, I, I did the podcast, right? Revelation 17 and 18. I, I can't offer much more than that. It, it's all related to the world trade system. Well, Clifton uh, mentioned earlier here in the chat that he thinks that the, the, our money will bend pretty badly, but it won't break. Um, do you care to elaborate on that, Clifton? Well, well money is only what men agree that it is, right? M money only has value because men agree that it has a certain value. If gold is not worth anything to you and you don't want gold, it doesn't matter how much gold I have, I'm not going to get your sheep. Right. Okay. So if you're producing sheep and, and whatever you determine is the price for your sheep, that that's what you'll accept and, and that's what we have to trade with. I mean, that's the way it is. So whatever men in the community determine to be the price of their wages that they'll accept, that is is money. I, I mean, that is what what they um, you know what what they would call money. And and if you want to accept these pieces of paper as having value, then the pieces of paper will have value as long as everybody accepts that they have value. So even if they have no real intrinsic value, they're valuable simply because everybody accepts them as value, as having value. That's how fiat money works. It, it's amazing. And it's, it's right. totally anti-biblical. It, it's anti-biblical because it's, it's, there's no way it could be a fair weight or measure. There's no way that it could be a, that the, um, the Bible tells us again and again to use fair weights and measures and pay a man a fair, his fair price for, for, um, in, in all transactions. I mean, that's what the scripture teaches. And, and fiat money, fiat money is just the opposite. Well, they're manipulating the fiat, the, 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 the actual value of the fiat money, and they're the ones that know how to manipulate it. They, if you look at the U.S. dollar index, it's been up and down and up and down and up and down. Well, if you know the direction it's going, you can just go in that direction. Well, well right. And, and the, these big investment banks, they make money by, by determining the direction it's going in and, and making very large transactions and, and uh, uh, exchanging billions of dollars and, and making a couple of tenths of a point uh, on each dollar that they, um, they they basically clean up like that, right? And conveniently enough, if you watch the funds that invest in these, they have the public funding the other direction. You know, so right now they're telling everybody the dollar's going to hell and you got to get out of it, and they're trying to buy up dollars at the meantime. So that's why I say it looks to me like we're heading for a dollar recovery, and then, of course, you'll have another dollar collapse, and it just keeps on going on and on and on. Right. Well, they're doing the same thing with gold. I mean, they brought gold down to under $300 an ounce, and now where is it? Yeah, but you no know? one wanted it. Isn't that phenomenal? I mean, no one was looking at gold when it was $300 an ounce. It was like a historic low. And now what is it, 16, 15, 16? 
Yeah, somewhere around there. I haven't really been keeping track last year. I knew it was like 13. Yeah, but I'm saying it's, 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 it's utterly ridiculous. Eventually, you know, it's going to go down, and then people aren't they only seem to look at it when it becomes outrageously expensive. Housing. When were people looking at housing? When housing prices were out of the, they were ridiculous. No one should have been looking at housing. Now the prices are collapsing and, 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 and low, historically low for the price of inflation, and people don't want to buy anything. It's amazing. It amazes me. They do exactly the opposite of what they should be doing. This is when you should start to be looking in a market for, for buying a house would be now, not when it was a million dollars to buy a, a, a tenth of an acre in, in, in Monterey where I live. You know, those same houses that were a million dollars three or four years ago are now down in the three and $400,000 range. Even that's ridiculous. It may be. But people were looking at them like crazy when they were a million, thinking they were going to go to two million. That's insanity. Right. Just wet your eyebrows out the rest of your life to pay for a cardboard shack. Yeah, not to mention the taxes. And then all the attachments that goes along with that luggage, right? Well, what do we have here? Well, we have to keep this moving along. I mean, we have to keep it engaged if we're going to keep it open. Uh, well, you know, using the, this, uh, using this so-called debt, these debt juice script things or whatever the hell you want to call it, that, that is Babylon. That is Mammon, isn't it? That is Mammon. Yeah, what's when, the alternative, though, Bruce? I mean, right now you don't have an alternative. That's part of the question I have. And you're part of Babylon if you're using the paper currency. People think, okay, I'm not in the stock market, so I'm not part of it. Well, that's bull. If you have any money in the bank, you're part of it. Well, it's simple. It's it's very simple. Uh, Christ told us his sheep that you know in the world, but not of it. We're in the world. We're in we're in Babylon. Let's face it, right? But are we of it? Is that where our heart is? I mean, that's it. All comes down to you know whether we. Are after the heart of Yahweh in His face, or, or are we after this this stupid uh, money to use our brothers and sisters and and ignore them and and just you know be out for ourselves and be all afraid of the future, which is you know I I don't accept that you know being afraid of tomorrow. Um, but, but, I mean that has a lot of problems, right? Well, my about. dream would be to build a community, but I, I don't know how that's going to happen. Well, Yahweh's going to do that. He's going to gather all things in Christ. That's his promise. Uh, first, he's going to have the his uh, workers gather the tares or the goats in bundles and cast them in the fire. And uh, he's going to gather all of his uh, body together and and it's going to be forever. It's not going to... I mean, that's our faith, right? <laughs> that's the faith that he he gives us, not 
the world. Gary. I certainly think we have to have something to do with it, Bruce. I don't think we're going to sit on our asses. Lose well, most job. certain, most most certainly. Standing in, but sit in the center of Philadelphia and hope you're not going to get nuked. I, I totally, I, I agree with that, too. You've got to keep your eyes open, keep studying Scripture, keep connected. Well, well you, know, you know, the Scriptures that I really don't like to elucidate on, and that's because I don't like to give people the idea that they should take things in their own hands when they want to, Right? And if you read Micah chapter 4, it clearly says, Arise and flesh, O daughter of Zion. And if you read Malachi 3 and 4, it clearly indicates that we are going to have a large part in what is to come at the end of this age. I just don't dwell on that for two reasons. First, we will have to have an absolutely clear signal from our God that it's time to act. Second, no matter what our role is, and we don't know exactly what it is, but we do have a role, but we will know that it's our God who has made this possible and who has done this for us, right? And and there's going to be no way around it, and, and we'll have to know that. Because we can't do this ourselves, and, and that we have to know. And, and if we try, we're going to fail miserably. Amen. That's where Yahweh wants us. So I think about reason. this. You know, keep, keep this in mind. The last time, uh, you know, we were reduced to such a small part of the population and had to uh, restart our race with only eight people, Noah had to take matters into his own hands, but of course at the direction of Yahweh, and build an ark in order to save the last eight people. Well, that's kind of why I think the communi- communities are a good idea. I mean, in, in, in what I see going on right now, you're going to need to have a community ark. I don't think it's going to be one community, but I mean, it has to be something that people keep in the back of their minds. Exactly. You know, hopefully uh, this isn't this this catastrophe isn't going to happen in the next couple of days, or I think most of us are toast. Well, a lot, a lot, I think a lot of us also don't even believe that there's a cloud of witnesses surrounding us right now, more than any man can number. This is it's not something dreamed up; it's a fact. I mean. Well, I'm I'm a survivalist from way back, so I'm not really too worried about what's going to come down. I mean, it's going to be a little tougher because my family's a little bigger since uh, I developed my survivalist views, so to speak. But I think a lot of us have that kind of mentality anyway. And it's not, I don't think it's a matter of we're going to be screwed because, you know, those of us living in the flatlands, as I like to call them, you know, your concrete jungle, you know, just because you're not going to be able to uh, grow a garden to be able to feed yourself does not mean that Yahweh is not going to provide for you. Here, here let me read Malachi chapter 4, right? And, and it's all, I'm only going to read the first um, three verses. For behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yeah, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. Now, that language is very familiar, right? We've seen it a, a million times at Obadiah 118, right? The, the same language. 
And the day that comes shall burn them up, saith Yahweh of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that hear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arrive with healing, arise with healing in his wings. And, and I, I elucidated the other night that that's the, um, the symbol of the phoenix, right? And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall, and ye shall tread down the wicked. For they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith Yahweh of hosts. But I, I just, you know, there's a lot of people that like to um, to agitate, agitate and incite others into action, right? And, and they love to sit behind their computer keyboards and do that. So I don't like to harp on those few verses that illustrate our role in what is to come because people too easily fall victim to the agitators. And my answer to the agitators would be that if you think that the time is now, then you shouldn't be sitting behind your keyboard. You should be out in the street doing it. Because if the time is now, you won't fail. So you better be damn sure of when that time is. So I, I think that some event has to precipitate that, that we know that the hand of God is in that event, and, and then we'll all know, but with a, a, a fairly common mind, what we have to do. Must be Nibiru. <laughs> yeah, Eli will tell us on December 21st the next year. You're going to be yeah, yeah, happen, though. That would be hilarious. <laughs> Well, well, there's a lot of people listening to Eli still that are exposed, but December 22nd of next year, if they're still listening to Eli, they're straight, they're straight-ass clowns. I'm sorry. <laughs> they're just proving themselves to be clowns, beyond all doubt. Of course, consent Eli is coming. It's unfortunate, the whole situation really is. But I'm waiting. I mean, I, I got a, a, a kind of a countdown on Christogenia, right? Uh, I mean, I had to do it. Why it is not 2012 All Night Marathon is in 530 days. We'll be partying because we're still here. Yeah, you know what? Uh, Nibiru, uh, New Age crap reminds me of it. Reminds me of the Jews portraying Germans as those evil Nazis. <laughs> is this a Jew playing another trick? Well, well, it's amazing that people would take a totally Jewish product that, that espouses absolutely 100% Jewish ideas, and, and um, I'm talking about Hollywood and, and Jewish propaganda and the Jewish version of the world. That's all Hollywood produces, and people think that just because it's on this machine and running on this machine that it must all be true. It, it's absolutely incredible. <laughs> You know, I wanted to mention earlier that, um, you know, with the inception of the Internet and, and, you know, I've heard a lot of people say to me in the, the past few years, well, you know, 
um, with the with the internet, you know, there's so much information out there, and you can learn just about anything about anything. And well, that that is so true. But at the same time, that information superhighway can be flooded with so much misinformation and disinformation. It's like you know, literally trying to find a needle in a haystack when you are searching for that ultimate truth. Well, well, absolutely. That's why it's the pearl in the field, and, and that's why um, yeah, you don't you hide it and you don't share it with others until you've bought the field. That and buying the field means learning the message with all certainty, and and then once you stand on a firm foundation, then you could share it with others. But most people, you know, they could be racist and spout rhetoric, and and don't know why. And and that's not having your house established on a firm foundation. You're not going to stand up to to the um to to the accusations of of the adversary. So so you have to be well grounded in in your beliefs and and know you have to know why you feel like you do right. That that's an important part of that. Yeah, and that house isn't built with hands. It was. It wasn't purchased with any notes. It was purchased with blood. <laughs> right. I thought Prime was referring to Marty Winspet. Mortality. <laughs> I think you just typed it wrong. Yeah, I have. Uh, I have my avatar tonight in honor of 2012. Well, we sure are a bunch of screwballs, aren't we? Twenty twelve, yeah. <laughs> so ridiculous. Yeah, I'm sure the Jew would love to replace uh um white man's Christianity with God of 2012. How many times they've done that? And there's no doubt that the six times going to the moon fairy tale happening in three years is wasn't a coincidence. It was to to you know, prop prop us, prop this country up to let us down. That's exactly what it was. Well, you know, if if we stepped up to the plate as real Christians, we wouldn't have let this country go down go down the tubes like we have. Yeah, the fact is, we haven't. So we just live with that. Don't escape from it, and. Do you know? Do do the right thing now. Well, the Jews yeah. are pretty good. They have a pretty good grip on the propaganda of the country right now, and it's going to be even more difficult for a lot of the 
younger generation to escape. However, there is one promising trend. There are a lot of whites that are no longer going into the public education system because it's so atrociously bad. So we may end up with the core group of whites that are homeschooled where their parents actually do have to take some initiative that our parents never took. I mean, we were just thrown to the wolves basically back then. Yeah. And, and, and learning our learning our own vanity is 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 uh, it, it requires an awful lot of work, and we have to keep at it every day, studying, uh, forgiving well, our brothers. The, the whole uh, homeschooling issue is really seems to be taken off like wildfire. Um, I, I think you're right, Bob. There's you know for lack of a better word, an epidemic amongst white people uh, of removing their children from the public school system and going with the homeschool or the cyber schooling. Um, one of the, uh, the the numbers that were given to us at the beginning of last school year that, were, that was at least 85% of the children involved in the program that we enrolled Josh in were white. And the overall test scores were all way above the national average. Yeah, of course, again, that's, that's called teaching them how to fling poo. You know, I had another one. Remember you were talking about the Cracker Barrel, Bill, and do you get it, the Cracker Barrel? There's a, remember that jump rope team, the King Firecracker Girls? Did the uh, uh, Naval Academy, they did the jump roping for the half half time at the Naval Academy. Well, at the time they did that, in 2009, they hadn't been involved in any kind of like Hollywood movie, and I just noticed that that same group now has diversity in it. They got their first black and their first Hispanic on the team. This is very discouraging. That's another one of those firecracker girls. Do you get it? Well, Mike, how's your internet connection tonight? You got anything to add? Update on Nibiru? Go <laughs> think. Uh, he could be wrestling with the kids. I'm going to say he's changing diapers. Well, well, well I'm going to end the program and we could all go down to open house, right? Honey, you call me. Oh, okay, you're here. We didn't think you were here. We, we just want to know if you had anything to add to what was said tonight, that's all. Uh, 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 yeah, I was just getting back to my computer and you called my name. I was doing dishes and changing diapers. Yeah, that's important, too. The diapers are important. I mean, you'll never talk to us on a computer with dirty diapers all around you. You'll, you'll be choking and gagging. Screaming kids and... I kind of miss the kids, but I don't miss the stuff that comes with them, right? <laughs>
I don't know. I never like the kids when they're young in the diapers and everything. I like them when they can talk and play cards. <laughs> yeah, eight years old is a perfect age, eight to twelve, yeah, they before they get polluted by their teenage friends. And I even told my 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 uh, my 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 cousin. I said, you know, I don't like babies, so don't give me the baby. The last one that you gave me had projectile vomited on me. <laughs> babies are for women. They know exactly who to hit. Uh, yeah. My grandson vomited on me the last time I was down in Virginia last month. Uh, I didn't mention it, but he did. Now that we're talking about it. I actually visited Michigan, and his girl was young. He was, here, take the girl, take the girl. I said, no, get the girl away. And he's shaking the girl, and all of a sudden, all over the front of me. You know what? I look at it this way. At least you know what to expect with them. I'll take a, a puking baby any day over a back-talking teenager. Thank you. Well, see, that's what's perfect about my situation is I don't have to deal with them. <laughs> well, as, as far as the topic you were talking about tonight, uh, blacks in America and such, I had posted a link earlier from uh, the Vimeo film, or a, a video that's on Vimeo, which I think actually you have on your site as well, Bill, to, um, When the Darkness Falls. Uh, just a reminder for those who haven't seen that, that's actually an excellent uh, video to wake people up, at least on the, just the racial issue of blacks and whites. And um, the guy that made that film definitely gets into the Jew, but he doesn't mention the Jew, unfortunately. And when the darkness falls, uh, one of the things I'd like to see him mention is that the Jews had brought all the slaves over here. But it's a good film nonetheless. There you go. It's uh, chrisaginia.org slash when the darkness falls. But, yeah, I heard you guys are talking about Monrovia and how James Monroe did that. Um, you know, some of the things that even Abraham Lincoln, you know, the misperceptions that they have that he uh, freed the slaves because uh, that's what he wanted to do. It certainly wasn't, uh, wasn't the initial intention. No, he only freed the slaves in the rebel states. He didn't free the slaves in the northern states, and, and there were northern states that still had slavery for, for several years after the war. It's a horrible, um, well, well, it's all propaganda, right? But it's a horrible lie that the war was fought over slavery. Yeah, every Jew lie is related to another Jew lie. <laughs> but Lincoln basically freed the slaves in, in states he had no control over. A and even if he had control over them, he didn't have the constitutional authority to issue such a proclamation in the first place. Right, because essentially he was arresting property from United States citizens. No doubt it was a sheer political move. They make a lot of hay out of it today but because they want to placate the, the Negroes, but it was a sheer political move. You know, I always have a hard time with Lincoln, whether he was a good guy or a bad guy or a combo, because on one hand, Civil War was really a mess. And on the other hand, 
he got shot in the head because he he wouldn't deal with the bankers. Well, well, right, and it's it's right exactly. I I also have very mixed reactions, very mixed feelings about Lincoln, but you know I have very mixed feelings about the Civil War, and here is why: that there is no doubt at all that we should not um, war against our brethren for, for political reasons and and kill our brother because he he won't let us rule over him. Right? I, I mean that's simply evil and and um the south had every right to succeed however it was the rothschilds that were instigating the succession it, it's that simple and, and yet, you know you want to see the, the south um have their own right to self-determination and every man should but you hate to see the rothschilds benefit the jew benefit by corrupting the mind of your brother right well, that's what they always do, north and south, everything, right? There's always a division. Right. Well, well yeah, right. One country without a central bank, and, and it was just too much for them. It, it really was. And, and they, um, that they had to try to divide it so that they could control it. I just hope there's something we can, we can th th these guys are going to get uh, put up on public display. If nothing else, just to show the whites how stupid they were to worship people like Ron Emanuel and Geithner and the rest of the clowns. Yeah, well, they cared more about Wiener's Wiener than they cared about their own brethren, right? Well, he's another one that fits right in there. Oh, uh, there's an everlasting Lake of Fire museum where the smoke descends forever, so don't worry about <laughs> <to> that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, well, in talking about Lincoln and trying to decide whether he's a good guy or a bad guy, <coughs> I agree. I mean, I, I, I think the, the slavery issue was definitely political, but, I, but from what I've read and what I seem to gather, number one, um, Lincoln, there's a lot of quotes from Lincoln that people don't hear about or haven't read. They definitely exist. You can find them if you look for them that are very uh, racist, where he says in no uncertain terms that he doesn't think that whites and blacks should live together anyway. Well, well, right, and that proves that the Jews are just using Lincoln, that they're, they're selectively teaching what they want to teach about him to, to um, that the the parts that go along with their agenda. Right. Well, from from what I gather from what I've read, it, it seems that Lincoln had plans to, uh, to repatriate these, as many of the blacks as he possibly could, back to Liberia or to Liberia. And that's one of the reasons why uh, he was assassinated. Was that the Eli James bill? I also think that he was against the, a, a reconstruction program, right? Yes, I did read about that, too. And, and a harsh attitude towards the South. Yes, I mean, because he, he uh, in a lot of his writings, I've noticed that, you know, he, he did have sympathy for the South. He did, he understood that they were his brethren, and, and while he, a lot of the way he worded it, he wanted to keep you know, he wanted to keep the nation intact. He did not want to be the president known to be in power when the nation split in two. And he, I think he tried to mesh the politics 
and the and the brotherhood as one to try to keep them together and keep his politics solid his his you know belief in in his race being the president of the United States i mean obviously you're you're gonna have to walk that line i mean that's your life you're you're in the position of of power like no other man at that time well i would like the opportunity to study um the the letters and writings and and articles that are pertinent to the situation more closely but i don't know if i'm ever going to have the time to do that i mean each one of the these topics that we discuss actually takes months of study just to understand, right? I mean, that's the way it is. It, it's it, it's it to to get to the real um, historical facts of, of a matter take takes a lot of effort because our society is geared so that we don't know them, so that the the corporate culture can control, and, and it's almost exclusively Jewish in nature, can control what the society, what the people think about history in order that they could be easily manipulated. Well, absolutely. It's it's like, you're almost like a criminal investigator. I mean, you're you're essentially trying to put together the pieces of the scene of a crime. Well, well, yeah, to a great extent, that's what it is. Uh, you're finding the evidence. You're sifting through the liars. You're sifting through the false witnesses to find the true witnesses. And, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's quite extensive. That's what makes your undertaking so uh, incredible, Bill. For every year that passes, there's, there's a whole another year of Jewish publishing propaganda that, that that hits the shelves and the internet and and, and the mainstream media, and, and it gets hotter and hotter. And and the real documentary evidence goes down the dustbin. Well, they're having a hard time flushing anymore. It's kind of backing up, right? Well, I mean, when you're you're when you're fighting for. Uh, legitimacy with with people who are like-minded but are following these bullshit precepts from people like David Icke, you know, talking about this reptilian race where basically every person he points to or talks about is a Jew or a crypto-Jew, but, you know, when you try to change the word reptilian to Jew, people start, you know, screaming anti-Semitism and, you know, you're a, a, a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> well, well, it's, um, that, that's why we shouldn't sign up for police like we sign up for football teams, you know? I, I could... We we have to have the sort of intellect that can put questions about Abraham Lincoln on the back burner and not paint the guy as totally black or totally white. Most Americans are very quick to paint somebody as totally black or totally white and, and to denigrate them or to extol them 
without having all of the facts and, and without considering that life is a lot more complicated sometimes than black and white. And the guy can have a belief that's not right and and and, and push and, and work for that belief that's not right without being treacherous himself, right? I mean, a will to keep the union together. It, from, we, it's easy for us to look back at Lincoln and, and say that that was treachery. And a lot of the things that he did were clearly tyrannical. But a lot of the things that he did were right. And, and he wasn't black or white. That There's a lot of gray areas there, right? He did some good things, and he did some bad things. And, and to put a... a um, to, to put a perfidious motive, to assign a perfidious motive to the bad things that he did, like Bob raised the question, that doesn't explain the good things that he did, because if his motive was treacherous to begin with, he'd have never done the good things that he did. You, you see what I mean? Right. So, so Lincoln, if, if Lincoln was in the pocket of the Jew bankers, so to speak, from the beginning, well, well then... He, he would have never printed the greenbacks. He'd have borrowed the Jewish money. Right, I was going to say the same thing. If he was in the pocket of the Jew bankers from the beginning, the truth is that, that if, if, um, if the man with the most money wins, he'd have been on the side of the Rothschilds and allowed the succession. But it was the northern Jew, the Jews on Wall Street didn't want the succession. It was really a struggle between Wall Street and London. Because the Jews on Wall Street, they wanted to keep the South, right? So that they could have ready access to, to the produce and the natural resources and the labor of the South. And the Jews in London, they wanted the succession so that they could have the, the influence in the South and use it as a wedge against the North and also have access to its labor and, and to its, um, its produce and its natural resources. So what we really had with the American Civil War was we had two competing groups of Jews. And we let ourselves get victimized by both of them. And when you look at the um, at, at a lot of the key config, political figures and key figures in agitating the war, we're, we're indeed Jews. They weren't all Jews, but a lot of them were. So, so the question, the Civil War is a very, very complex topic, and, and there is no right answer to it. That there is none. There, there's no this side was right and that side was wrong, and that's just the way it is. You can't say that about the, the topic's much more complex than that. But Americans are, are too quick in, in our um, lack of patience for deep study and contemplation. We're very too quick. We're, we're much too quick to paint something black or white. So one side has to be evil and the other side has to be good. And the evil side is totally evil and the good side is totally good. And, and we sign up for... We sign up for political um, 
figures and we sign up for beliefs and we sign up for um for doctrines and dogmas just like we would root for a football team because i like them and that's my team and they can't do no nothing wrong and they're the best when you said the two groups were you referring to the ashkenazi and, and the spartan no martin nothing to do with that it has everything to do with money and power centers and and um nothing at all to do with racial that's london and wall street martin Jewish racial sects, Wall Street and Boston uh, on the one side and the Rothschilds on the other trying to get the South to succeed so that they could loot and pillage its cotton. So their mills, the, the primary motive for the, for the Rothschilds was, was cotton. It's, I don't know that much about the topic, but, but um, it, it is something I, I've read a few papers on. It, it's just, of course, it's not my regular area of study. I wish it, I, I had more time for it, but of course I don't. The Bible yeah, is, um, the scripture is my area. With the, the radical Republicans that they were hoping to, to go into the South and rape and pillage, and uh, when... Uh, Lincoln wasn't for that. That's, that was one of the other things that, that helped. Well, we had already so. mentioned that, right? Andrew Johnson wasn't for it either. That's why they had to get him out and they had to get Grant in there. So as soon as they got Grant in, they had their looting and pillaging reconstruction program going. Everyone's put up the, the different amendments. What was it, the 14th, 15th, 16th? Yeah, well, there was a lot of treachery in, in um, the Grant administration, just like there was a lot of treachery in the Eisenhower administration. Both of them were the, were the conquering general type that what were used for the, the, the Jewish plutocrats' wishes. There's probably a lot of parallels between the Eisenhower and Grant administrations, if, if you looked into it. You know, it's we got our own problems just with whites. I mean, all you have to do is look at the history of Israel through the Bible. I mean, just if we have to contend with ourselves as the problem, let alone deal with the Jews and the blacks and the browns and everything else coming into this country. Exactly, Bob. Well, I think uh, the... Uh, very important, you know, getting one's own house in order uh, and not be a busy body and with other people because uh, Yahweh brings about a tremendous uh, uh, inward revolution in, in our, our people when each one of us are transformed by him. It's not so much a, you know... Uh, a matter of what we can see or know, because Yahweh sees and knows all. But I, I think that's that's the emphasis. I think, uh, and uh, then we'll do the right thing, you know, when the right time comes. Well, that's why loving your brother is the second great commandment. You know, if we learn to be able to deal with each other and, and live with each other and and uh, do what's right amongst your brethren, then it's so easy to deal with these aliens. 
these Jews. Yeah, you got half of that commandment, right? I hear that brotherly love is going on in the neighborhood. I just couldn't it's, resist. To love, your, <laughs> to love your racial kinsmen as yourself. Yeah. They are. You are me. I am you. We're all the, the Yahweh's family, children. Not, not, that sounds like hip-hop nigger music. Though. We've destroyed everything. We've allowed the Jew to destroy it, and then we follow suit, right? Hey, I got something for you guys here. I'll switch it up here a little bit. Um, Bill, can you read this, uh, uh, this, the top, the headline of this article for me? And then I got something very interesting after this. What? Yeah, anybody, if they can read the top headline, and then I'm going to show you something else that was really crazy. You know, Mike, I was just talking about this earlier tonight, about how Facebook, I, I noticed so many more gay ads. And I don't mean, you know, you know, gay, I'm talking gay, faggotry, homosexual ads all over Facebook. Well, here's a, here's Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO and owner of Facebook, joins the North American Man Boy Love Association, according to Forbes uh, online here. Now, that just, that article isn't too telling here. Well, what's really telling is earlier today on CNN here, which this article has been removed. This is a screenshot that I was able to dredge up somewhere else. But as you'll see in the screenshot, I'll post the link. According to uh, I reports on CNN, Mark Zuckerberg was arrested in Palo Alto for sleeping with an underage minor today. And CNN had pulled the article already. No doubt. I dropped, I dropped off Facebook a week ago. Yeah, this is the disturbing issue, is you could never get anybody to believe this. That's the problem. You're not going to get any of your kinsmen except the few we have on this website here, that these Jews are out of, out of, out of control. Still God's chosen. There's a lot of other pockets of Christian identities that don't come here, right? It's not only us. I mean, there are a... A, a, a few other groups that I'm aware of that, that um, feel a, a lot of the same things we do, that they just don't have, that they just don't have um, maybe the time or the ambition to come here. But but I'm in constant contact with other CI pastors that have their own, that their own little flocks and groups of people that 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 they have all the same um, beliefs that we have, but we just don't know they exist. Because they're not here, right? I mean, but it's better that we're like that, that we're splintered to some degree. Yeah. Somebody was asking me about Don Elmore, and that's one of those groups. And, and he, had, I, I announced that he had had a, a serious stroke on, on my Friday program. And, and um, Don, it, it turns out he didn't have a serious stroke, but what he had instead was a severe blood pressure episode. And that's all I have right now, and they're trying to figure out why he had 
the severe blood pressure episode. But thankfully, it wasn't the stroke that they thought he had. At, at first, for the first day, they really thought he had a bad stroke. Is he on blood pressure medicine? I have no idea what he's on, what he's not on. He didn't. I, I do know that he he did not have a blood pressure problem before this. But I don't know. You know, a lot of these people, they, they take medications, and they'll be taking medication for one thing, and and, um, and it causes something else that they never connect it to, right? Uh, the best thing is not to take any Jew medication and not to not to stay off it altogether. If you can, not all of us are, are um, fortunate to be able to avoid it and... and um, what what can I say? That's the that's the way life is. But a lot of times it's that medication that causes something else to go wrong with you. I, I don't. Oh, it, it's just a cover for something. I, I don't know how old Don Elmore is, but but um, uh, he's a he's a great guy, and he has his own two seat line Christian Identity Church, and and um, they're an active group, and and that's just one example of a group. That, that's out there that we don't hear of, and there are a lot of others like them. Yeah, well, I mean, what I'm saying here is if it's a small group of what's a handful here, there's really not more than a handful nationwide. I mean, you're not going to see any wide group in the entire state, CI or anybody like-minded in the white community. Not well, well, no, right, and, and that's because it's just not time yet. Yahweh will wake people up when, when it's his time to, to wake them up, when he wants them to awaken. Yeah. That, that's I demonstrated that on a program recently. I, I mean, I I don't remember which one it is, but the scripture was clear. Well, I look at it this way. That's I think he's kind of put that in our hands. Well, well, you know something. We have to carry this message that where I sincerely believe that we're obligated to do that, but we're not guaranteed success. Not until the time that he determines that there will be success. It might be another generation or two. You know, I love this thing that, that uh, ProThink put up. We, it, we probably have a Jew reporting on a Jew, right? Andy Greenberg. Yeah, you notice that too, huh? Yeah. Well, who else has the media to report on anybody? So <laughs> they report what they want to report and... and um, yeah. I guess this is supposed to make it all the better, you know. Oh, look, he's doing this. It must be okay. You know, why can't they go? The thing I can never figure out about these of these Jews is just is absolutely bizarre to me. And, and the same thing with the, quote, Jew Catholic priests and, and stuff is they don't even get the sex right. What the hell is the deal with that? <laughs> I just doesn't make it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever what the, the hell they're doing. I mean, they got all this power, and what do they do? They go after boys. Well, that just goes to show how absolutely disgusting they are. Yeah, but at least you know if you're an old geezer like that guy we uh, the, the Bill and I met on the bus, at least you can go after some cute young European East European block white girl. Well, keep in mind too, Bob. You know that's that's exactly when you say you can't fathom it or you don't understand it. Just it's not in your nature to understand. We never will understand. If I had some power, I'd probably go after some nice young European, Eastern European girl. You know? Yeah, that's what King Solomon said too. 
I know, that's what I said. It's a good thing I don't have any. But this just seems like such a waste. I got a billion dollars and I go after some boy. Oh my gosh, it's disgusting. I think I think Clinton's going to have to write a paper on that one just to explain it to me. <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg, twenty-nine million results. Now, this this thing you put up, Mike, is this this looks like an actual page that was originally there and someone decided it's a snapshot it's an actual page that was originally there yeah it's yeah, a screenshot it, yeah it's a screenshot it's a it's a image that's um, the actual uh article now it's on i report cnn which is um kind of like a user-based blog that's Host it with CNN to make it look, you know, be like you or I, I guess, could get on there and start posting articles on there. I don't know how willing they are to let anybody post like that. On fact, it, you know, it was posted up on there, and it was there's a lot of confirmation from all these other forums I'm reading right now, and it has been removed. Now a lot of people are trying to say that oh, this was just. Um, this was just, you know, some, some average idiot that had libeled him in a fake article through the iReport system. But um, who, who knows? I mean, you know, it could be like a, a Strauss-Kahn ordeal, you know, another big Jew getting taken down or something. But I, I don't know. It could be BS, too. Yeah, that'd be funny, wouldn't it? Jews are under attack from their own media, but it's not their own media. It's some white guys in there stirring up things. Yeah, well, why do they take down Wiener? I mean, there must be, I mean, because he has a Muslim wife, maybe, but I'm sure a lot of Jews have non-Jewish wives. In fact, I'm sure most of them probably do. Maybe he was just a jerk and they didn't like him. But hey, there's something up with that. Hey, you want to see a, a real live ape shooting niggers with an AK-47? Oh, I saw that already. Too late, please. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, that, that came off of uh, Ramsey Paul's uh, website. Well, it did come off there. I mean, that's where I found it. I don't know what the – you know, what one of the comments in there, and I don't know if you've, if anybody's had a chance to look at that, they, these, these blacks somewhere decide to give a – a uh, chimpanzee, an AK-47, and he starts mimicking the, uh, or shooting up the place. But there was a comment in in in, in the uh, YouTube section I thought was funny. Guy goes, "I don't get it. They're all apes." So the chimpanzee with the blacks. Well, Mike, you're going to have to tell us if this is actually true at some point. I hope this doesn't go. I hope it doesn't go the way of Nibiru. 
Well, well, the only thing I saw, I see the I reports from CNN.com on um, the results are on on Google, but it's it's you know the the content isn't there anymore. But there's no other site unless sites got it from I reports, right? You know, this is what happened to me with Rush Limbaugh. I mean, I know that uh, Clifton brought that up the other night, or somebody did. He made a statement was recorded on the internet where he claimed he was a Jew. And that thing was just completely erased in, in, to where there was no evidence that it ever existed in, anymore. And I was astonished because I got into an argument with my brother where I said Rush Limbaugh said he was a Jew. And I thought for sure I'd find some trace of it, and there was nothing. So now I have to go into the category as he, he's... He, may have just missed an opportunity because I, there's, there's no way to get him actually stating it at this point. Wow, three-hour show. Hey, does anybody in the forum want to be a money changer? I want to see if we got any Jews. Dan Kersey's not here. Nope. Yeah, <laughs> neither is Jeff left over. Well, we'll have to do something more, and next time I'm in the Philly area, Bill, we'll just see if we do some um, another round and see if we can get that Ifl guy. Yeah, I'll be down there. I'll be down there in. Um... Well, when you come back, I should be off the chain, right? Well, when you come back, I, I, I um, my, my well, schedule should be freer. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, you're you're done your your time in in March, right? Yeah. Yeah, when you come back, uh, uh, my schedule, my travel schedule, should be a clean slate. I'm supposed to be there in September and December. I might, I might do some traveling, stop at a couple places, coming back across the country. Yeah, there's a couple of places I'd like to get that we haven't had the chance to get to yet, but. Maybe see if some of these people really exist on this forum. <laughs> I'm going to take a. I'm hoping to take a, a couple of weeks down through the south next next year, next spring. I am out west. Where do you think I am right now? I drove all the way across the country. That's why I'm in PA. Yeah, you're out further west than than, than LV dude is. Where's <laughs> LV dude? Las Vegas. Always oh, in Las Vegas. So that's what the I thought that was for love, dude. <laughs> no, no, he came in his Las Vegas dude. He kept getting knocked out. Uh, I guess he got tired of typing his whole handle, right? <laughs> yeah, I thought he. I thought he was. I thought he was spreading the love. No. Okay, well, this program's gone too long, and I'm going to cut this recording. And, and thanks, everybody, for um, for for being here and listening. And praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. Yahweh. Praise Yahweh.